Uh, today is uh, Palm Sunday, and I'm going to start this morning with a Bible reading from uh, Matthew 21. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and, ga- uh, and came to, and it's actually pronounced, pronounced Beth Ridge, not Beth Page, but Beth Ridge on the Mount of Olives, uh, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring, to, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. I can imagine, uh, you know, sending, you know, David, uh, there's a heart, really nice Harley out there. Would you mind just going and getting that for me? And uh, he goes and he gets the Harley and he's just about to bring it to me. And the owner of that Harley says, uh, what are you doing? He goes, oh, the pastor needs it. He just uh, sent me to get that. And all this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle, humble, and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. And while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is What a great question. Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. What's really interesting, um, I have a confession to make, but in over 30-something years of ministry, I've actually never uh, preached on uh, specifically on Palm Sunday. So I've spent the last week or so doing a lot of research on Palm Sunday, I discovered some really, really interesting facts. One of them is that um, um, this uh, portion of Scripture that we've just read, there are only eight times in uh, the four Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, where um, um, they mention the same incident occurring. So only eight times, depends on how you interpret Scripture, but about eight times where the writers of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, uh, mention um, the same thing. And this happens to be uh, one of those eight events. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's um, so significant about what took place here on Palm Sunday that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all felt compelled um, that they need to comment on it. And so in my um, study during the week, I've discovered that this event here, which we call Palm Sunday, poses some of life's uh, biggest questions for us. Uh, Jesus and his disciples came to this uh, town called Bethridge, which literally means um, the place of stables. Now, who goes to Merricks or Flinders where there's lots of um, kind of equestrian sort of uh, horse studs out that way, isn't it? So this was kind of the Merricks of, um, of Israel. All of these horse studs and stables. Um, a really nice stable is um, St Andrew's Brewery. Who's been to St Andrew's Brewery, the old 
But it's nice to go into a stable there. I quite like stables. And, um, and uh, um, Jesus sends uh, two of his disciples with instructions to go and get a donkey and a colt. Now, kings usually um, in the ancient uh, world rode on a stallion. And a stallion was a, a war horse. It was a symbol of do, uh, domination. I almost said denomination there. No comment. Um, a stallion was a war horse that uh, symbolised domination, control and power. And so when a king came riding on a donkey, it was his way of letting everyone know who was the boss. However, there were occasions uh, when a king in the ancient world would get off his high horse, so to speak, and uh, would come and would ride on a donkey. And a king would do this when he wanted to signal um, to um, a city or a nation that um, he was coming in peace. Sorry, that's Siri. Could you turn that off for me? Thank you. Uh, there's a new phone I've got there. and um, Wouldn't it be funny if I preached the message and Siri um, kind of told me what to say? That could be fun. So here's Jesus and he comes, uh, he comes riding into Jerusalem. And by riding on a donkey... What he's doing is he's signalling to the world that he, ha- he is not a foe, but he is a friend. He has come in peace. I don't know how many times I hear people say, you know, I wouldn't want to come to church because you just never know. The roof might cave in. In other words, God is somebody who's out to get me. And yet, I want to say to you this morning, God would come to you this morning in peace. Jesus is riding on a donkey. He's not riding on a stallion. He hasn't come to hurt you, but he has come to help you. He hasn't come. Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world, but Jesus has come to comfort you. He's riding on a donkey. And he wants to reassure you this morning that as he approaches you, he comes in peace. He comes in friendship. And not only does Jesus come in peace, but he also comes in humility. It says, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. And he is, he is gentle. It's a word humble. He's gentle. He's humble, riding on a donkey. Jesus is royalty. He's not just the king of kings. And he's not just the Lord of lords. But he is a humble ruler. He's a gentle ruler. And Jesus is unpretentious and he is unassuming. There's a a fantastic story. Um, Who's heard of William Booth? William Booth was uh, the founder of the Salvation Army. There's a brilliant book uh, called A General um, Under or Next to God. And it's about the story of, of, of William Booth. And um, in this book, it talks about um, at his funeral, 40,000 people turned up at his, at his, at his funeral. And um, 
One of those who attended his funeral was Britain's Queen Mary, and she was a great supporter of, of William Booth. But um, Queen Mary came incognito. She, she came to the funeral um, in secret. She was probably wearing a trench coat and a pair of sunglasses and a hat. She was looking very, very inconspicuous. And she didn't want anybody to know who it was. And so she sat right up uh, the back of the church. She managed to get a seat at the back of the church. And as she was there and she was seated next to this ragged old lady. And this lady had, uh, in her former life, had been, um, the kids are here, so had been a woman of the night and um, who had come to Christ through, um, through the work of the Salvation Army. And so here's this woman of the night. She's um, sitting next to Queen Mary and she doesn't know it's Queen Mary. And she says to the Queen, referring to William Booth, I'll try and put on my Cockney accent. Go blimey. <laughs> Forget it. He cared for the likes of us, he did. He cared for the likes of us. And Queen Mary looked at her and smiled and nodded her head in agreement. He was a humble queen, an unpretentious queen. Royalty. And that's what Jesus is like. And so Palm Sunday challenges us to ask ourselves the question, what horse are we riding? What kind of horse are we on? Are we on a stallion? Are we kind of throwing our weight around, wanting everybody to know who's boss? Or are we taking the posture of Jesus? Are we taking a humble and gentle posture? Are we someone that's metaphorically riding a donkey? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question. Secondly, um, what I discovered when I was doing this research on Palm Sunday, tradition says that um, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem coincided with the arrival of someone else. And whilst um, Jesus was entering um, Jerusalem on the east side of the city, he was coming down uh, the Mount of Olives and coming into Jerusalem. On the other side of the city, on the west side of the city, a man by the name of Pontius Pilate, who was a political ruler, was coming into Jerusalem from the other direction. And so there were two parades that were taking place in Jerusalem at the same time. One was Pontius Pilate coming from the west. And he would have had you know, all of the pomp and the, the ceremony, all of the symbols of, of prestige and power. He's probably riding a stallion. And then on the other side of the city, there's another procession. And there's Jesus riding on a donkey with his disciples, this rag-tag kind of uh, band of ordinary people, people probably just like us. You see, um, in the ancient world, when, when, the, when the prophets um, 
uh, wanted to engage people and grab people's attention, what they would do is um, they would uh, enact dramatic action. And what Jesus was doing in, in arranging for his entry and his parade to coincide with the parade of Pontius Pilate, he wanted to get his message across to the people of the city. He was making a statement through this symbolism. He was saying that he was trying to contrast these two different kingdoms, God's kingdom, which he represented, and the kingdoms of this world, which Pontius Pilate represented. So Pontius Pilate was representing the best that this world could offer, and Jesus was representing the best that God could offer. And Jesus is saying in this prophetic statement that there are two kingdoms that are both competing for our allegiance, and they both want our time, and they both want our talent, and they both want our treasure, and they both want our love, and they both want our loyalty. God's kingdom wants your time and your talent and your treasure and your love and your loyalty. And the kingdoms of this world want your time and your treasure and your talent and your love and your loyalty. And both kingdoms are seeking our service and our commitment. And so Palm Sunday challenges us to ask the question, which procession are we part of whose parade have we joined ourselves to so what horse are we riding and what procession are we part of is it obvious by the way that we invest our time and our treasure and our talent who our king is and which kingdom we are part of can people tell by the way that we live where our love and loyalty lie and to which kingdom we are aligned to. These are big issues that arise from this Palm Sunday story. Thirdly, just relax, I've only got 33 more points to go. <laughs> Thirdly, uh, the timing of Jesus' entry not only coincided with Pontius Pilate coming to the city, but um, it, this wasn't the kind of some random um, act of Jesus, but it was also coinciding with Passover, the most important week in the Jewish calendar. And so Jesus couldn't have selected a more dramatic moment as this. A time when every Jewish male who lived within a 20-mile radius of Jerusalem was required by law to go to Jerusalem, uh, into the temple to offer a sacrifice. And so this city would have been jam-packed with hundreds of thousands. Some commentators say that there was quite possibly millions of people in Jerusalem. And so it was kind of like looking around the room. It was like Woodstock. Okay, I don't know what the equivalent is. Do you know what Woodstock is? No, you don't know. What would be the equivalent today? Sorry? Coachella. Okay. Let's stick with Woodstock. <laughs> so Passover is, was this festival when every family is selecting and purchasing a lamb. And they take that little lamb 
And they take it home and they inspect it for a number of days. Just check to see if there are any blemishes on it before taking it to the temple where it is offered as a sacrifice for their sin. And this Passover festival has its origin in and gets its name from the Exodus story. Read about it in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. And it's where the angel of death came through the land of, of Egypt to execute God's judgment. And it passed over every home that had had the blood of an innocent lamb applied to the doorframe. The angel would see the blood on the doorframe and would pass over. That's where, very original, isn't it? Very creative. Would pass over um, and, and make sure that judgment didn't fall. And so the Passover lamb was the means by which Jews were saved and rescued and made right with God. It was the Exodus story or the Passover story is their salvation story. And so what happened every year from, um, from that, that Exodus event, the Passover, initial Passover event, up until the destruction of the temple, every Jewish family at Passover... Uh, remembered what had taken place in Egypt. And they offered an innocent lamb in their place as a sacrifice for their sin and as their way of salvation. And by entering Jerusalem during Passover, Jesus was declaring that he was not a Passover lamb, but he was the Passover lamb who would take away the sin of not just a family but of the entire uh, family of humanity. And in and through Christ, something new was taking place. In 1 Corinthians 5.7, it says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. And so the old way of offering the Passover lamb was being superseded by Jesus, and he was pioneering a new way of being made right with God. He was pioneering a new way of salvation. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. How good is that? It's, that's only good news if you're a sinner like me. If you're perfect... This is kind of ho-hum news. But if you're a sinner, you do things wrong, this is good news. God is no longer counting people's sins against them. Well, thank you, Brenda. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. So why? So that we could be made right with God through Christ. He's our Passover lamb. And so Jesus at the cross passes over our sins and forgives us completely. And it's through Jesus now that we are made right with God. We don't have to bring little lambs into church and bind them. Wouldn't that be horrific? 
bind them to the altar and slay them and shed their blood. So we don't keep rules and regulations and we don't need sacrificial rituals and systems any longer to make us right with God. All we are invited to do is put our trust in Jesus and the moment we do, we are declared righteous. Right here, right now, we are as right with God as we'll ever be. Phew. This is only good news for people like us who know how bad we really are. Only, uh, only us baddies know how good this is. Right here, right now, we're as right with God as we'll ever be. How good is that, Barry? It's fantastic. And so Sunday, Palm Sunday challenges us to ask the question, have we received Jesus as our Passover lamb? Have we accepted Jesus as the means by which we are made right with God? Are we resting in and are we relying on the sacrifice of Jesus alone to make us righteous? And then finally, this word Hosanna, which the people cried out to Jesus as he entered the city of Jerusalem. It means save now or please save. And Hosanna was the cry for, uh, for help from a people uh, toward their king uh, when they were in trouble or distress. So it's a people who are hurt, a people who are distressed, a people who are in need would cry out Hosanna to their king and say, King, come help us. Come rescue us. Now you've got to understand what's taking place. In the week, week or so leading up to this event, um, Jesus had performed a number of, of, of miracles. You know, blind eyes are opened. He'd, he cast out demons out of a young boy um, and he just, he'd raised his friend Lazarus um, from the dead. And so can you imagine? Jerusalem is absolutely buzzing and people's expectations are super high because everyone is eager to see this miracle man. And the big question on everybody's lips is, is this Jesus the promised Messiah? Is, is he the one that has been sent by God to save us? That was the big question. And their expectations were really, really high. But the problem with this question is that it was minimizing the Messiah to someone who had only come for Israel to deliver them from Rome and make them the new super world power. See, Israel had been occupied by the Roman Empire for about a hundred years. And even though Rome was quite kind in the sense that it allowed Jewish people to continue with their religious practices, the Jews were unhappy, and rightly so, with being occupied by an invading force. Think about that for a moment. 
Think about that for a moment. An invading force comes into your land and takes over. Think about that for a moment, people. How would that feel? This is what the Jews experienced. And they wanted to be free from Roman occupation. And so they were hoping and praying for the Messiah, God's deliverer to show up and free them from Roman control. But they had minimalized the Messiah to a a political, military solution to their problems. You see, for Jesus, the people's longing for a Messiah and this cry, uh, cry of Hosanna was actually an ache for something far bigger and far better than a political movement. And whilst the gospel has political implications, Jesus, Jesus recognises that humanity's problems cannot be simply solved by political means. We need something more and something better than politics or policy to save us. Don't we? See, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of Jacinta Ardern, the New Zealand Prime Minister. Oh my God, she makes me cry. She's what a leader, in my view, should be like. Forget what party she's part of, but she's compassionate, she's humane, she's articulate, she's intelligent. She's an amazing woman. She's got a great heart and a great vision. But she's not the Messiah. As wonderful as she is, she or no other political leader can be our Messiah. Because Jesus has a far bigger vision than a political fix. Jesus' vision was for salvation, for Sozo for shalom, the restoration of all things, the restoration of all things, not just the restoration of of Israel, but the restoration, the shalom, the, the, the repairing of the earth, tikkun olam, this Jewish concept of everything being made right, nothing broken, nothing missing. And Jesus understood that that kind of world, that transformed world, could only come to pass if he was able to solve the root of all of the world's problems, which is what? The human heart. That's the problem with the world. It's not Rome. It's not the Liberal Party or the Labour Party or the Greens or whoever else. They are not the problem and they are not the solution. The problem with our world is the problem of the human heart. And so Jesus came to get to the source of the human problem and do a transformative work. And so heart by heart, person by person, family by family, Community by community, 
city by city, nation by nation. That is Jesus' vision for a transformed world. And so Palm Sunday challenges us to the challenges us to ask the question, how big is our Messiah? And who are we looking to, to change our heart and put the world to right? Are we just thinking that the solution will be at the next election on May 18th? It's not. And so the reason Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all mention Palm Sunday, and each of their Gospels is because they want us to reflect on these profoundly challenging questions. What kind of horse am I riding? Am I a person of, of peace? Am I a person of humility like Jesus? Um, whose parade have I joined? Um, which kingdom am I serving? Have I accepted Jesus as my Passover lamb? And he, is he the sole means by which I am made right with God? And the other big question is, how big is my Messiah? Have I just reduced Messiah down to somebody who's for me and my people group? Or is he this all-encompassing figure who wants to transform every human heart and ultimately change this world and bring about shalom. And that's why, that's why Palm Sunday is such a big deal. And I'm so disappointed it took me 30-something years to find that out. <laughs> but now I know. And it's all better now. Amen? Amen. Beautiful. Uh.